Welcome in, everybody. Two teams remaining after this week's championship games. Two games that, you know, to be fair, the, the favourites came out in top of and pretty convinced on the scoreboard. We'll get on to those very shortly. But welcoming, first and foremost, my two guests this evening, two co-hosts. So we've got Lawrence. How are you, buddy? Yeah, just, just about hanging in there after staying up for the NFC Championship. So... Normally, it takes me about a day to kind of really, really feel it, but I'm, I'm feeling it early tonight. <laughs> Worth the pain, though, mate. Good game in the end. Um, obviously, a very dominant performance, which we'll come to. And Ewan, uh, how are you, buddy? Yeah, all good. Didn't manage to stay up for both games, but uh, as Marshall Lynn says, you've got to take care of the mentals. So, uh, <laughs> doing all right today. That's it. We're all taking life advice now from Marshawn Lynch. What a what a fine piece of advice it was as well. Right, let's and, get cracking. And your chicken. And your chicken. Look after it. your chicken. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Look after that chicken. Let's get on to it then, boys. Let's start off with the AFC as we get into first down. First down. Okay, so fresh off a big comeback win the week before the Kansas City Chiefs played comeback yet again. Uh, Not from as big of a hole this time, but they were down 10 points early on the scoreboard. Ultimately got that again turned around before half-time and then pushed gently on the accelerator to move away in a game that it always felt like they had probably got under control um, and ultimately end up winning it by a score of 35 points to 24 you and I'll come to you first, obviously, a week removed from, like I say, that huge comeback against the, the Texans. Um, similar story in this one behind on the scoreboard, but it just never, ever felt, to be honest, that the Titans were in this game, even though the scoreboard had them up early doors. Yeah, it went, went 10-0, and it looked like they could move the ball uh, reasonably well early. Um, the big thing was just the, the swings that you can get at Arrowhead and the, and the crowd noise and the momentum and... Um, when I think it was a 27 yard run from Mahomes he ran it in and at that point you, it was almost like it fit, kind of felt similar to the week before there was just a turning point and um, you know the Titans did well to get back into it I think you know the, the performance that they put in it but particularly the three tight ends this you know the second half of the season got them back into it a bit uh, with uh, Fersker getting another touchdown and uh, the, uh, a lesser known name on the depth chart at the start of the year and um and yeah, they, they kind of threatened, but it was just, you know, there was, it, when it really came to it, they just couldn't move the ball in the second half. And, you know, a lot of the, the hype that's been in the sort of national media about the, the Chiefs' defense actually seems, some of it seems justified. And, um, and Chris Jones was back in there, big part of it. Ty Matthews just transformed his game from what it looked like even at the start of the season. So, um, you know. A good, good performance all round for them, but uh, yeah, they just look comfortable, um, you know, for for the entirety. Yeah, and and Lawrence, you were obviously on the pod on Thursday with Tim. Broke this one down, yeah, really, really well ahead of time, and and everyone knew going into it that you know Derrick Henry was going to be such a key part. Uh, although the the Titans continued to feed in the board, he just didn't seem to to sort of get it going. Um, you know, most of his runs seem to be three and four yard gains. He ends up with only 69. 
and there's that huge stat that unfortunately surrounds the Titans, isn't there, that if he doesn't break 100 yards, it just doesn't seem to go their way. Held, like I said, to those 69 yards on 19 attempts. But the key thing in here is long of the day was only 13. You usually see him scampering away for a big one and, and puffing for air at the end of it. Just didn't seem to be their day, unfortunately, on the ground in this one. And obviously, um, that played a big part in it. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a it was a strange start, wasn't it? Because they they clearly were wanting to use some play action, and you had Brian Tannehill getting a, getting a few good early completions, especially um, you know opening drive and then that second drive taking that that ten zip lead, and then a huge huge drive from the Chiefs. I think that was that that ten play drive. I think they, they were saying it was the longest one of the longest drives of the season, certainly the longest playoff drive they had, considering, you know, they scored seven consecutive possessions last week. And then still the Titans were hanging in there, weren't they? And then you, you obviously had a, a little bit of history early in the second quarter when Dennis Kelly, the offensive lineman, became the, the single heaviest person to make a <laughs> touchdown catch in NFL postseason history. And you know, you know, you know, Sean, you and I don't know quite what size you are, but Sean and I, we, we don't come from the um, kicker camp, do we? No, we'd, we'd definitely be in the trenches, <laughs> wouldn't we, mate? That's, that's safe to say. Absolutely. So, it, you know, still with, with the Titans 17-7 up, you, you kind of looked at that and went 10 points, not, not enough, not enough. If that, was, if that went to 24-7 and then you could still feedback um, Derek Henry the ball, then you stand a chance. And, and that the game plan was working to a certain degree for, for the Titans, trying to keep Mahomes off the field. And you saw him kind of sitting there, but he wasn't frustrated. He was just kind of biding his time, just chilling out, waiting. And then boom, 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 boom. Four touchdowns, 28 unanswered points. And, you know, say goodnight. And that, that was really it. One thing I would want to give the Titans a bit of credit for was holding the Chiefs scoreless in the third quarter, considering that that kind of momentum swing right at the end with that incredible toe-tapping 27-yard touchdown from Mahomes up the left sideline. You're thinking, oh my God, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be all over. It's going to be 28-17 and we're not, we're not, we haven't blinked in the, in the third quarter. But there was a bit of a you know, a bit of a ding-dong third quarter, no scoring. And then Damian Williams, who is, for, you know, for all his kind of probably getting drafted a little bit early and disappointing fantasy fans in the regular season, he is a playoff monster, isn't he? He, you know, that, he, loves, um, he loves the postseason. That, um, that play that they ran with Dennis Kelly, I think they've run it twice already this season. Uh, and both times been a different... Uh, eligible receiver caught it, so it was interesting to see them run that again. But I think Arthur Smith's been, you know, he's he's done a good job as a coordinator. Uh, I mean, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for the run they've put together. But they just they just couldn't get the the run game going, and um, and it wasn't enough to to kind of to cover up potentially some of the, the you know the lack of explosive plays that they, they can get sometimes with Tannehill and they have them, but they're just not being able to do it regularly. Uh, down the stretch, but I think yeah, when you, like you said there, Lawrence, when they when they started to run the ball, 
Uh, and I should have got called out in the broadcast that they ran it four times in a row, and I don't think it happened all year for them. And they just they just sort of asserted their, their dominance in the game. And by that point, they, they scored. They took a lot of time off the clock, and then it just really sucked the life out of the game and any kind of chance of the, the Tennessee Titans coming back into it just seemed to, to, to dissipate quite quickly um, after that drive. So... They were um, when Williams ran it in. So yeah, yeah, it just seemed like they just had another gear and they just moved into it and 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 saw and saw it out. And yeah, I mean, it was you could see how much it meant to not only the players, I think there, but also how much it meant to the fans as well. Not being to the big game since nineteen sixty nine, so it's it's uh, it's a big achievement for Andy Reid as well. Only signed Super Bowl and he'll be wanting to to win it. Um, just as much as anybody, because I think that's probably been the biggest criticism of his career. He's not done that well in the postseason, uh, despite having a great in-season record. So yeah, I think it's it's going to be you know it's probably we'll come in the next game. But as as you probably wanted from a neutral, uh, you wanted Mahomes and that explosive offense to go through because it's going to set it up for a good game. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I think mean, yeah, brilliant run from Tennessee to get as far as they have done. Um, you know, I think most people had this down as a Chiefs win going into the weekend and, the, you know, there was a path for the Titans to get it done. They obviously needed um, more in that run game and unfortunately, like I say, just didn't seem to happen on the night. Just talking of the run game and you mentioned it, Lawrence, can we just all calm down with the Patrick Mahomes 23-yard touchdown? I've, I've seen a tweet today saying it was one of the greatest plays of all time in the NFL. What on earth are we talking about? It was decent, but... Come on, it wasn't that good, was it? Or was I watching a different game at that point? I think part of it's context. I think part of it was you went from being three points down at the half, possibly going in with a tie at half-time. Bucker's pretty reliable field goal kicker. 17-17, and it's kind of, you know, either way. It's the fact that they got that lead with 11 seconds left in the half. They get that lead. It's it's a huge momentum turner. I'm 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 with you, Sean. It's not it's not the greatest play ever. I mean, let's be honest. My you know my season husband, Mr. Lamar Jackson, has had some better runs this season than Mahomes has. But it was it was the context to the piece and and just getting that shift. And then from that point onwards, that was it. Titans didn't um, the Titans didn't manage to get get back and yeah, the, the Chiefs had the lead yeah. from that point and that was that was all she wrote um, one one person I want to give a little bit of little bit of love to yes it was padded out with that big 60 yard touchdown at the end but nice to see Sammy Watkins showing up because he is a very very hot and cold receiver you know he can have two catches for for 11 yards and then he can explode for 100 and something so to do it in an AFC Championship, well done. He's never quite lived up to his billing, I think, in the draft as he coming out of Clemson. He was, uh, you know, it was him and Hopkins coming out, you know, at a similar time, and um, he still got the speed. And you, 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 you uh, that was on display when he, when he, uh, when he pulled away. And I think that was the moment that sealed it, uh, or, the, you know, or you knew it was done by then. Uh, but I think that a big part of it is when you're not an automatic seed, and you don't have the benefit of having that first weekend off after the season finishes. I think you saw Tennessee look like they were just a bit out of steam by the end of it. And, you know, and, and by definition, Kansas City just looked that bit fresher. And, and there's, you know, it's, it's a well-trodden fact that 
that if you if you're not in the top two seeds, you will probably struggle to make it to the Super Bowl out with sort of the the, the Giants' couple of uh, miracle runs that they had. So yeah, you just thought that the Kansas Kansas City just looked that bit fresher on offense and defense, and Kansas City looked healthy as well. And I think they've come out today saying they've not picked up any injuries, and it's probably the healthiest that team's been all year. So it's kind of coming together for them at the right time. Yeah, certainly is. And uh, as you said, you and earlier, I think that was the the team that the neutral wanted in the big game um, with that explosive offence. They're obviously going to have to bring it because as we'll get to in second down, they're going to meet a pretty formidable defence. Let's move across to that NFC Championship game for second down. Second down. Okay, over in Santa Clara. Obviously, boys to men kicked all the action off with the national anthem, and then it was men against boys when the action kicked off. And the San Francisco 49ers absolutely smash the Green Bay Packers yet again. Tim isn't on the podcast tonight. I think he's the only man still on that hill that says the 49ers are not for real. He will not admit it. And secretly, I think the three of us are all now probably hoping the 49ers go and win the Super Bowl. Um, but we will wait and see on that. We've got a couple of weeks to build up to that one. But Lawrence, you said you stayed up and watched it live. You saw plenty of ground game in this one. Um, and yet again, the Carl Shanahan offensive scheme proving that you don't have to be a highly drafted skill player to be effective, and Raheem Mostert, what a night he had for himself in this one. Absolutely ridiculous. The second highest rushing total by an individual in 54 Super Bowl-related seasons. Absolutely bonkers. 220 rushing yards. And he could have had more. He really could have had more. I think the re- you know, part of the reason was, that was the offensive line just did an incredible job. I was tweeting out at God knows what time in the morning that George Kittle was becoming the ultimate teammate. He, he had that one catch in the fourth quarter just as a kind of thank you spending the entire game <laughs> in line blocking. But I think he, he even said there's a, there's a quote from him today saying that how much he absolutely loved spending the entire day blocking. So this is a guy that just loves football. So absolute credit to him. I did say in my, in the preview pod that this was, you know, offensive line, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, who is an absolute beast. Just imagine you're a 49ers fan and you've got Mike McGlinchey lining up for you for the next decade uh, at right tackle. Just, you know, you've got to have a big smile on your face there. And and Carl Juszczyk, who I called out as well on Thursday, again, another monster game, just, just blocking his, you know, blocking his head off. I mean, I feel sorry for fullbacks because, you know, they're... They, they end up going from having a neck to having no neck. They get no credit. They get no love. But I think there is a little bit of love for, for Juszczyk for his, for his blocking. And most of that, that game, 220 yards, only second to Eric Dickerson, who back in 1986, and Tim, block your ears. It was the Rams that, that um, when he played the Cowboys, Eric Dickerson had 248 yards rushing. And then beside that, here we go, guys. Who was the only running back to get over 200 yards in a Super Bowl? 
Ooh, uh, you, you're just trying to get me geared up for this big fat quiz of the year I'm recording on Thursday. I am. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. Uh, well, it obviously wasn't this year, so that doesn't help me that much. <laughs> um, it was. Ooh. It was in the eighties. Oh, you in any ideas, buddy? Not a clue. Um, I'll, I'll say it with a big grin on my face. It was rookie running back for the Redskins, Timmy Smith, who had 204 yards rushing in that 42-10 blowout of the Denver Broncos. And yes, I watched that live. That was only my second Super Bowl in 1988. I remember that because he didn't even know he was going to start the game before kickoff. Head coach Joe Gibbs went up to him a couple of minutes before kickoff in the locker room and said, George Rogers, who's the, who's been the, the veteran running back, is not going to start. You, Mr. Timmy Rookie Smith, are going to start in the Super Bowl. So just imagine that as a rookie being told a couple of minutes before kickoff, you're going to start the Super Bowl and then rush for over 200 yards. Yeah, pretty incredible story. And obviously, most uh, he, he, he's certainly the hot hand at the minute, you. And, and I mean, unbelievably, you know, he's been bounced around, hasn't he? He's been on several teams. He's been with the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Ravens. Of, of course, he's been with the Cleveland Browns because we didn't see anything good in him. The Jets, the Bears, um, you know, six teams had a look at him. He never had had a carry for any of those six teams before he reached the 49ers. And to be fair, he's been there a couple of years, and it's only really been this season that he's burst onto the scene. But his career stats now, 178 carries for 1,069 yards, including the postseason. He's averaging six yards a carry, nine touchdowns, also catches the ball through the air. It's got to be said, they've found themselves a little bit of a gem here, haven't they, mate? I think it just speaks to the the job that the the front office have, have done, and I know they kind of talked about the sort of ancestral nature of the or the intertwinings of the two coaching staff uh, and across the two teams. But in terms of what the Shanahan Junior's done there, uh, John Lynch, the front office, that defensive line that they've built, they only have to rush. You know, they only really have to rush four. They'll get pressure, and you can just sit back and. And blend and disguise your coverages and Robert Salah's done a great job with that with that defense and it kind of just it spoke volumes of the of the the personnel job they've done at building that Ross. I think they've got eight undrafted free agents. Moser and a great example of that, where the coaching there has just been good enough to get them to, to get bet you know better out of the players they've got. Debo Samuel comes in and and you know a big guy I really like coming out of South Carolina. And he, you know, he performed again. He's done really well as a rookie. You know, you know, Lawrence Tuttle, McGlinchey there. You know, part of probably one of the best ever lines in college football in Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson, etc. And the Martin brothers. So, yeah, I think it's 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 been a, it's a real kind of growth in that roster, considering they picked second in the draft. You know, just gone. Um, you know, Bosa up front's been a great addition, just a, a day one pro ready to go and contribute. Um, and yeah, they just they just seemed to dominate the game, and it was I think it was twenty odd to nil at one point, um, and the score probably flatter. Green Bay, great great deep ball by Aaron Rodgers uh, late on to set up a score, and they, they scored on a, a sort of screen pass as well, and uh, you know just to work, you know to try and get themselves back in the game. But I don't think the the scoreline fully reflected how dominant again for the second week in a row. 
the 49ers were. Now, how do you win games when you only throw six completions by a quarterback? Is is pretty special. I think that just speaks to not only personnel but the scheme. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, seventy-five percent completion rate for Jimmy G. <laughs> Only attempted eight passes. Um, I'm giggling because it must be a lovely way to make you twenty-seven and a half million a year, isn't it? Throwing eight passes a game. Um, he, he's very, he's he very did, good at having yeah. the ball off, though. It's got to be said. <laughs> Go on, Lawrence. He he did all sorts. I mean, in terms of the the acting performance from Garoppolo. I mean, you you. you can't look any further than the third quarter. He didn't throw a single pass in the third quarter. Yet he still managed to deceive. He managed to confuse. There was kind of various plays where he was handing off. And and just just kind of reflecting on, on Mostert's performance, I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm there because you had Tevin Coleman go down injured. And I really hope he's he's fit in two weeks for the Super Bowl, and I think Matt Breeder is in the doghouse officially because there was points in the game where most of could have easily had a little bit of a rest and, and Breeder could have come in and probably hoovered up 50 to 60 yards in the second half. And Coach Shanahan was just like, no, I'm keeping it with most He's not fumbling. He's, you know, his yards per carrier over seven a pop. We're just going to keep with the hot hand. And sometimes it's, it's just the sensible thing to do. Stay with the hot hand. Don't go for someone. And I was looking, I was, I was paying particular attention to, to looking at most, uh, looking at kind of his breathing and seeing, if, was he looking knackered? And even in the fourth quarter, with, you know, nothing really, really to play for. And that he was getting those few carries and the, there was the, there was a kind of drive at the end, just a three and out and, you know, they were like, well, we're, we're kind of relaxed now. Most of it still look really fresh. And I think that, that's, a, that's a scary thought for the Chiefs coming up, that, that most of it, he, he just looked strong. And you, you, you talk about Derek Henry having a, an incredible season and, and, and absolutely monster second halves of games. Most of it, I think he, you know, just feeding the ball. And... I will I will pat my own self on the back because I don't know if any of you guys are playing the NFL playoff challenge where you pick a quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, kicker and defence. So I picked Moster back before the playoffs started. So he's now on a three times bonus for me. So for him to have over 200 yards, I think he had one or two catches, definitely one catch. And those four touchdowns, I was... Pretty happy with that performance. Yeah, he's certainly going to have won you a few points there, mate. Let's flip it over to the Green Bay Packers. Good season, obviously, in Matt LaFleur's first in charge. Um, but I think for, for me in this one, I mean, you know, you and you mentioned it, the, the long ball that, that Devontae Adams caught. But outside of Devontae Adams... The roster is absolutely screaming out for playmakers on that offensive side of the ball. The run game has been improved, but still inconsistent. Aaron Jones in this one, 12 carries for 56 yards, but obviously being so far behind, was essentially taken out of the game plan. Um, you know, But effectively, um, still asking Aaron Rodgers to probably do far too much in this offense. 
defensively, yes, this running game has been difficult for anybody to stop, but the Packers' defence has probably you know, not really kicked on from a strong start to the campaign. The two Smiths have been good additions in free agency for them this season. Um, but it suggests to me there's still a fair bit of work to do with this roster. Um, might sound a little bit harsh, but I think you know, for a number two seeded team, I think there's still quite a lot of question marks um, for this Green Bay Packers team in the off-season. Yeah, they took the, the <laughs> or Brian Gusenkunst that um, definitely invested, you know, the last two seasons into the defensive side of the ball, and you know their biggest strength of defense was the edge rush, and they effectively took it out, <laughs> took it away from them by running the ball so much, and it, uh, yeah, they just they're just they're just a bit short, I think, on uh, on um, on offense in terms of the the receivers. There's been a huge turnover, and that Jimmy Graham's had another bad season. Uh, by you know by the, the natural talent that he has standards that were set for him, um, and it was it's it's been a transition of Rogers not being able to adjust to these new guys that have come in, and and get the best at them and be on the same page. And now he's a, you know he's obviously you know, he looks a, either frustrated or um, you know the smartest man in the room kind of aura to him. You know, and he's he's earned that through some of the playing in the league. But I think as the Years ticked down in his career. Now he's probably underachieved with just the one Super Bowl, and he'll probably point to the people that have been around them. And if there's ever been a time where they need to go and invest and put some playmakers in, it's this off season because they're one or two players away um, from being at the tight end that they got out of Texas A&M, came back in um, uh, Sternberger and caught a touchdown. He looks like a potential player. He's been on the IR most of the season, so you know he could be one. But you know, did they need another? Uh, receiver that can come in uh, quite possibly. So yeah, I think they need they need to add to that, and you know, could they short the line probably a bit more? You can always improve your line um, with, with with quality players if they're available to you at the top of the draft, and less so free agency. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they can do. It's a good good class for wide receivers this year in the draft. So you know, there's there's options there, but I think they probably need more seasoned pros than young. High, you know, high end or, or high ceiling prospects that, that can that can help them win, you know, in the next next year, and then if not the year after, but they, they can't be looking too far beyond that with Adrian Rogers now. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, some transition uh, expected in the upcoming off season. Uh, right, gents, going to put you both on the spot. Just one one word answer because we're obviously going to spend the next two weeks probably building up to the big game. So let's just get one word from you. Who wins the Super Bowl, Lawrence? 49ers. And Ewan? Yeah, the same. It's two words, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you off with that one, mate. I will let you off with that one. Right. Let's get into a few stats for you then as we move to third down for a bit of Stats Life. Third down. Stats. Stats. Plenty of records tumbling, as we've alluded to, as we've gone through the games in terms of Raheem Mostert in particular. We'll try and avoid him for stats live. He may well crop up in here. We'll see. But uh, as we've got Mr. Retro himself on the podcast, Lawrence, I'm going to throw it open to you to start us off, mate. I've got an absolutely gorgeous one. I love talking about my old quarterbacks. So... Jimmy Garoppolo, last night, 77 yards to win a conference championship. 
there have actually been five other Super Bowl quarterbacks who have won a conference championship to then go to the Super Bowl. And they all happened in the 1980s. I'll whistle through them. Ron Jaworski for the Eagles, 91 yards. David Woodley for the Dolphins, 87. Tony Eason for the Patriots. We all remember what happened to Tony Eason in Super Bowl 20. He got murdered. He actually had the least ever passing yards to win a conference championship. He had 71. So Jimmy Garoppolo, unfortunately, had the, the second lowest. So he doesn't get that particular claim to fame. And then, interestingly, Phil Sims, who went on to have the highest completion percentage in Super Bowl history, he threw for 90 yards in the 1986 Conference Championship against the Redskins. And then Boomer Esiason in 1989 for the Bengals, he threw for 94 yards against the Bills. So, Jimmy G, you're actually the sixth quarterback to throw for under 100 yards and win a conference championship. Fair play indeed. So, you're telling me that damn target to George Kittle just to keep him happy has kept Jimmy G completely out the record books. He'd have smashed, seven, he'd have smashed 71 yards if, if Kittle hadn't had that one in the fourth oh, no. quarter. Damn, damn that George Kittle. <laughs> <laughs> Ewan, let's come across to you, buddy. Yeah, just a bit of the Chiefs, really. Mahomes has obviously become now the the sixth quarterback uh, with multiple uh, games of of fifty plus rushing yards in the postseason since nineteen fifty. Um, and based on that, obviously that win then led Andy Reid uh, to surpass the legendary Mike Holgram uh, for th- or for thirteen thirteen for the sixth most wins by a NFL head coach uh, in the playoffs now, and obviously the Chiefs are. Uh, eight consecutive wins is the longest current active streak. Yeah, certainly of my era, um, probably yourself as well, you and I think Andy Reid got to be the best head coach to have never won a Super Bowl. Lawrence, you've probably been watching the game for a, for a bit longer. Andy Reid still top of your list or anyone else? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I vividly remember when he, he was last in the Super Bowl for the for the Eagles. And they had a chance. They had a chance against the the Patriots. They had they had the opportunity to heave the ball up the field in the final play of the game, and it it came down incomplete. Or you know, so there there was a possibility even back. I think it was 14 seasons ago. I think if my memory serves me right, that was when he was last in the Super Bowl. So I love the fact he's gone from the NFC to the AFC as well. I think that that's. Uh, that's a big achievement, taking a, a team from two different conferences to a Super Bowl. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I think um, I think there's a stat there, actually, that um, although he now takes his second different team to the Super Bowl, and uh, I think he joins a club of seven individuals to do that, I think he's actually only one of four people to have won both the AFC and the NFC Championship games, I believe. I think I've read that somewhere earlier. Apologies if I haven't. I could have completely made it up, but I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere. Uh, one that good. one that definitely isn't made up is in reference to the fact that the results yesterday 
give us in terms of the upcoming Super Bowl matchup that with the greatest win percentage between the two quarterbacks who are obviously scheduled to be starting in that matchup. So obviously Jimmy G for the 49ers, Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs, a combined win percentage of 79.4% in their careers. It will surpass the matchup of New England against Seattle from a few years back when at that time Tom Brady and Russell Wilson combined for a 76.6% win percentage. Um, So obviously... Um, you know, a bit of history scheduled to be made in that one. Uh, Lawrence, come back to you for another bit of goodness. Okay, so in Super Bowl playoff history, only nine rookies have ever recorded three or more sacks in their entire playoff run. So Nick Bosa is the only current one who's in that chart. He has recorded three sacks, two last week sorry, two two weeks ago, one yesterday. So he now needs two sacks in the Super Bowl to become the all-time sack leader for a rookie in a playoff run. The current holder is a guy called Greg Townsend, who completed that in 1983 for the Raiders in three games. A couple of noteworthy names that are in that, that rookie chart. Randy White, for the 1975 Cowboys, Randy White, an absolute legend. J.J. Watt in 2011 for the Texans. He had three and a half sacks in just two games. And then we had Javon Kirst back in 1999, who had three sacks himself. One guy that I've actually never heard of, I got stumped. So I officially had not heard of a guy called Garin Veris, who in 1985 had four sacks in four games for the wild card New England Patriots. So, yeah, I'm going to have to look him up, find out who, what he's all about. Garin Veris. Well, there you go, mate. As I always say, if you don't know him, he must not be worth knowing, mate. That's my view of the world. Uh, you in any other goodness from you, mate, or do you want me to crack on with one? Go for it, mate. Fill your boots. Fill my boots. Well, a guy that will need to fill his boots, in my opinion. We've talked about him a little bit on the podcast. Damian Williams, I think, if the Chiefs are going to come out successful in the Super Bowl and we get a jubilant Patrick Mahomes at the podium at the end, I think they are going to have to use the run game a little bit more than they have done because if they don't, I think the San Francisco 49ers are just going to absolutely bleed that clock with the run game. Um, The Chiefs are going to have to do something more than just two or three-minute drives. Yes, scoring points is all important, obviously. But if they can get Damian Williams going, he now has nine scrimmage touchdowns in his first five career playoff games. You mentioned earlier, Lawrence, he comes alive in the postseason. That's actually now put him tied for such a high mark with Hall of Famer Terrell Davis and future Hall of Famer Larry Fitzgerald for the most scrimmage touchdowns in a player's first five playoff games in their history. Very so impressive. He certainly knows I've, how to get it done. I've got I've got one little tidbit. You know me, you don't get away with it. I always Go have on. a little tiny quiz question for you. So this oh. is for, for both of you guys. So Dennis Kelly, with his touchdown grab as an offensive lineman for the Titans, became the how many in terms of offensive linemen catching touchdowns in post-season history. Not conference championships, but in the entire Super Bowl playoff history. How many offensive linemen 
have caught a touchdown. It's the kind of stat that you almost just want the commentators to come up with as the, as it's happening, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't think they did. <laughs> um, no, they didn't. They didn't. Oh, God. This could, oh, could be a mile away. Let's go for six. Go on, Ewan. Four, I said. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> the total, Dennis Kelly made it ten. Ooh. Not a million so, dollars away, then. I think you might remember from five years ago, Gary Gilliam with the Seahawks. Yep. Against the Packers. That was quite a famous offensive oh, yeah. line touchdown. Yeah. Um, big, big, big touchdown there. And then the last two before that, always, you know, you know which team I'm going to mention, don't you? That always gets one-yard touchdowns from bizarre people. Yes, it's the Patriots. Nate Solder in 2015 and then Logan Mankins back in 2007. So, yeah, couple, lots of other people that you won't have heard of. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Right, that's wrapped up your stats for this week. Let's move on to a bit of news in fourth down. Fourth down. Okay, fourth down and just a few little tidbits of news to come out. Quite a, a couple of these just really to do with defensive coordinators. So, Tennessee Titans defensive coordinator Dean Pease, fresh off of yesterday's playoff defeat. He's retiring after 16 seasons in the NFL. Um, obviously had a, a good unit down there in Tennessee this year, um, getting all the way, obviously, to said conference championship games. Uh, that's going to leave quite a big hole, Lawrence, I would suggest, for the Titans. He's, he's had an impressive campaign. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's the Titans' defensive unit arguably has been one of the most overachieving units of, of anybody in this season. And it was, it was a shame it came to the end in the in the AFC Championship, but you cannot hold back the tide that is Mahomes. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a huge loss for the Titans, who who's have been you know been really impressive without a lot of household names. Probably Jarrell Casey and Kevin Byard, the the biggest names there. So, as long as they continue to to draft solidly, they're they're going to improve on stuff. Let's just hope the Titans fans, they somehow break that kind of voodoo curse of finishing a season nine and seven. So they can't do it five seasons in a row, can they? You wouldn't put. You wouldn't bet against them. You would not bet against them. Um, further DC moves in the AFC South, and you and it seems as though the Texans have found their scapegoat for their woes in the postseason. Romeo Cornell expected to be replaced by the current defensive line coach Anthony Weaver in Houston. Yeah, I think I read today that it's been a, a strong unit. I think every year that Carell's been in there, apart from the one actually, oddly, he stepped back and let, uh, and let Mike Vrabel take the reins for a year, which was a disaster. Not all Vrabel's fault, but injury certainly. Vrabel looks like he's a better head coach than he was a coordinator, so I'm sure he'll be looking for an experienced head to fill that role. But uh, yeah, Carell has won five Super Bowls, decorated career. Um, obviously, you know, mostly famous for the Chiefs um, and and the Patriots. Uh, he's you know he's been a good servant to the game. You know, t- very much Tampa to 
zone coverage this year. They tried to go a lot of man, and I don't know if that was necessarily pushed upon them or not. Um, pass rush just disappeared, and and then a coverage unit's never going to look great when nobody can can pressure the, the quarterback. So yeah, I, th- I think it's been a, a, a many many ways in coming. Anthony Weaver is going to step up into that role. Um, Currently, defensive line coach done a really good job. He's been around some good coaches or defensive-minded coaches in the league, so he's got a chance to step up in that that role. Um, and yeah, I think he's a lot of a lot of the players, particularly uh, Jadavian Clowney, I know was close with him and a very kind of straight-talking guy, and he commands a lot of respect from players in the locker room. So, got the potential to do well. But yeah, Romeo's done a good job. I think he'll stay in the building and be an advisor as he did in the in the year that Bravo uh, was was in charge. So yeah. It's, uh, Probably, uh, probably his time has come. I know him and Wade Phillips both uh, seventy-two, and uh, potentially not seeing the games passing by, but it gets to a stage where you got to you got to let the let the next generation step in. So it looks like it's the time has come for both of them. Yeah, like you said, I keep a bit of continuity in the building. Um, you know, like you said, Cornell certainly being a valuable member and very respected uh, backroom assistant. So obviously, he will stick around by the sounds of it. Um, final bit of news and almost a little bit of a, a sneak peek, if you like, into next weekend's action. We won't be with you on Thursday with our regular pod. I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but obviously, the just the one game this weekend, and it is the All Star game. And obviously, as we now have the uh, Super Bowl contenders confirmed. A few replacements have been announced in terms of the Chiefs players that obviously no longer will be suiting up. Um, ironically, Ryan Tannehill is the man who's going to replace Patrick Mahomes in the Pro Bowl. Um, and also, Jarrell Casey is added to the AFC roster to replace Chris Jones. Um, Jaguars receiver DJ Chark and defensive end Josh Allen come in to replace Tory Kill and Frank Clark, respectively. Um, the other change is Jack Doyle of the Colts um, is in to replace Travis Kelsey. In terms of on the other side, on the NFC, obviously there will need to be some replacements for the 49ers. Um, Richard Sherman, Carl Juszczyk, Nick Bosa and George Kittle were all announced on the initial roster uh, and obviously will no longer be going. But at the time of recording this, they have yet to be announced who's going to fill in. Um, I was a little bit surprised that the 49ers had actually only got four pro bowlers to begin with, to be honest, boys. Um, I know, Lawrence, we've talked about this and I know we pay a lot more attention to the all-pro teams um, in terms of the ultimate recognition. But obviously, this is something for the fans to... To have a little bit of fun with, obviously see all of the, the best players suited up together. Um, I know in particular, though, you said that you quite like the skills challenge. So do you want to just give everybody a bit of an overview of what the skills challenge is and who's going to be yeah, there? Yeah, it, it kind of takes me back. So back in the sort of early, late 80s, early 90s, when, when Madden came out on on your your Sega Master Systems and all, all of this jazz, you had... Um, rival kind of games trying to trying to compete with Madden and they put these quarterback challenges on where you'd you'd throw a ball you have to go through a paper target a moving target or you'd have to run through an assault course or have a, a long distance passing competition and it kind of it kind of went away for quite a while uh, and then you had the pro bowl and then they did that ridiculous thing with the with the Team Sanders and Team Irving, which is a complete disaster in the Pro Bowl, and and they've had some really nasty uniforms as well over time. 
And then they've kind of gone, okay, let's calm down. Let's, let's treat the Pro Bowl for what it should be. But let's bring that skills competition back. And it's, it is really good fun. And I think just watching the old ones, if you've got NFL Network access, they, they replay a lot of the old skills competitions. And what's good is you, you've got some, you know, incredible quarterbacks with incredible playoff history, incredible statistical history as well. Kind of having some banter on the sidelines and seeing who can be the most accurate, especially when you've got the the moving target kind of accuracy thing, and and you can see that the quarterbacks that really are do have that incredible accuracy. It's it's great fun to watch, and I think ten times more fun than the actual Pro Bowl itself, which to me is is a really a giant farce. I will I will definitely not be staying up for it. I will watch the condensed two-minute highlights of it, but I will not be watching any more than that. Um, and and as, as you said, Sean, I'm, I'm a great believer and a subscriber in the all-pro teams as the, the real recognition because that you've got a panel of 50 experts. And what, what I always like to do with the all-pro team is have a look at that voting breakdown. So not just those that are first team or second team all-pro. I like to have a little fish around in terms of all those 50 votes to see. You can kind of see which, which young first, second year players are up and coming as future kind of bigger stars because these people know, these experts know where these people are, are kind of rising from. So it's always good to have a, have, a, have a little fish around the entire voting for the All-Pro teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, you and just in terms of the Pro Bowl itself, obviously, as we said, it's all a little bit of fun, isn't it, really? Let's be honest. Um, yeah, there's no nothing really on offer other than bragging rights, but always quite interesting to get uh, Lamar Jackson throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins, for example. Um, you know, that, that obviously would have been the intention. Obviously, a couple of those guys are likely to be changed. I think Hopkins is probably not going to go due to injury. Um, but that, that's obviously the idea of it, a bit of fun. Um, so any anything in particular you, you particularly want to see on Sunday? Any any combo you're looking forward to linking up together? No, no, really. I think, I think it's, it's all pro nothing, isn't it? I think it gives agents a bit of leverage in negotiations these days. It's, as you said, the skill stuff actually is a lot better than watching the actual game. I think it's... Everybody watches on. Was there not? I, fuck, I forget the name now, but was there not somebody that got injured in the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago and missed time in the regular season? Mitch Trubisky went to the Pro Bowl last year. So by the time you get all these injuries and all the alternates, it's kind of it, it, it's not it's not as it intended uh, when you've got the Super Bowl the week after. But um, it's good recognition for the players. I think I think it probably puts you in a a sort of uh, upper echelon of, of talent, you know, and of, of players of the league and how they're respected around the league. But beyond that, I think it's it's a bit of fun in games in Orlando or Hawaii or wherever it is this year. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's always been rumoured that they're going to try and get rid of it or change it or, or what have you, but I don't think they've ever quite found a format that, that works. But I think if they go to an extra game in this next CBA, it might be the first thing that the... Uh, Players Association of the league take out, so I don't know how long it's got left. So maybe as well enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy it while you can. Yeah, indeed, Roger Goodell. If you're listening, I'll try my best to big it up for you, my friend. But these two boys just aren't having it. So you know, I've I've done my little bit, but um, yeah, it's not great fun, is it? Eight o'clock though. That's the one good thing. Eight o'clock UK time. If you are interested in watching it, it's surely better than dancing on ice. At least we can all agree on that. Right, the referees are running in, boys. Time for the two-minute warning. 
Okay, just a couple of minutes then, just to catch you up. All things full 10 yards, and as I've alluded to, there won't be the regular two pods this week. As Thursday, I am in the hot seat as part of the big fat NFL quiz of the 2019 season. Uh, delayed from recording last week, unfortunately, due to unforeseen issues. Uh, but hopefully that will be with you on Thursday. Uh, so I will have a couple of extra days to be swatting up on my history books in terms of us over the next two weeks we're going to start bringing you some season reviews from all 32 teams in the nfl as we're obviously just down to the two remaining contenders now and keep your eyes peeled as we increase coverage as we head towards the super bowl and uh, got some plans for quite a special pod next week where we'll get several members of the full 10 yards family on to talk about what they think about the big game and obviously there'll be plenty of content winging its way towards you uh, as we head towards the final Sunday of the year. Guys, can you believe we're already at that final Sunday of the year or it's just around the corner? Only seems like yesterday we were thinking about, you know, training camp starting and pre-season football and here we are, it's almost coming to an end. It's absolutely flown by yet again, hasn't it? So... As uh, Ewan said, let's enjoy it while we've still got it because we've only got a couple of weeks left. So maybe with that said, guys, you should really give this Pro Bowl a chance. I'm doing it. Give the Pro Bowl a watch. I'm sure it'll be worth it. It, it is officially, <laughs> um, just to just to put a really light note on the end of the podcast, it's officially the, the highest suicide rate day of the year today. It's actually called Blue Monday because of the, the fact that <laughs> My, many millions of us um, around the country are in lots and lots of debt and we haven't quite got paid yet for January. So, yeah, Blue Monday. Um, I think we, you know, thankfully we, we, we all as NFL fans have a Super Bowl to look forward to post Blue Monday. But for everyone else, you know, just keep it safe, you know, stay happy, hug, hug somebody and, and, you know, have a smile get through Blue Monday and get on to Purple Tuesday. Top words indeed, my friend. Look after those chickens. We've gone full circle, haven't we, from, from the start <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> and with that being said, let's get out of here, gents. So it's goodbye from Ewan. Thanks very much. Cheers, buddy. Goodbye from Lawrence. Don't forget to fight for your right to party. <laughs> indeed, my friend. And it's goodbye from me. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.